I mean, I, I couldn't see, but I've got no idea about the handball rule, mate. I really don't. I mean, I saw the one yesterday, Wolves, and it just seems like if you hit your hand, it's a penalty, and then at other times, if you hit your hand, it's not a penalty. So I've got no idea. I, you know, it's the one rule in the game I just don't understand. Unless we, you know, we start developing armless defenders, I don't know how you're supposed to block things, and you know, I don't understand the, the handball rule. Well, I've said that to, to referees in the past. I, I don't know how they see it, to be honest. Welcome to the Sound of Football Podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Terry DeFellon. Hello. Well, I'm back from holiday. That's why we weren't here last week. Start of September, we weren't here because Terry was on holiday. But that's it. That's it. We're done for holidays now, aren't we, I think? Yes. Yeah, I think so. So we're going to be here till Christmas now. I should think so. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think anything can stop it. No. No. Well, you know, there are things that can stop it. Well... Yes, yeah. I suppose, yeah. yeah. Natural disasters, illness, that kind of that thing. That kind know. of thing. We're men of an yeah. age now, listeners, so, you know, yeah, anything could happen. But yes, we are here this week, and we are going to be catching up on football, just generally shooting the breeze about football for another half an hour again, aren't we? And why not? As we've done for so many years now. <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous now. Sometimes we get together and we sort of think, well, what are we going to talk about this week? And then we'll we'll come up with a few ideas, and, oh, oh I'm sure we've talked about that before, haven't we? Somewhere in the in the in the fourteen and a bit years that we've been doing this podcast for, but you know, it, it's always good to come back to things, isn't it, Terry? And always good to refresh your memory and actually, you know, revise your opinions on things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, having changed my view to an extent on uh, qualification for major international tournaments, as an example, something that I was steadfastly opposed to the idea of pre-qualifying and changing that. Although I still am, actually, to be fair. But the reason why my mind changed was because of the Nations League. Nations League gives smaller nations the opportunities to play decent football matches while giving them an opportunity to qualify for major tournaments. And I think that this has given us the opportunity to to change the way we think about our our international qualifying tournaments as well. So so that's good. And And now we've seen the Nations League being rolled out into the women's game and it's only been one uh, round of fixtures and all already it looks pretty tasty. It certainly does, certainly does. Yeah, Friday night, England played Scotland and uh, yeah, it was a cracker. It was up in Sunderland and it was a cracking game. Now, I've been watching the Lionesses play qualifiers now for a few years and uh, it's been pretty much a cakewalk ever since I started mm. watching. I, I, I first started watching... England women play in the 2015 World Cup and what qualifiers you could see back then were pretty much one-sided affairs I actually looked through the stats about how England have performed over the years in qualifiers and over the last 10 years they've won 34 out of their 36 qualifiers they've scored a total of 193 goals and conceded just three Three. Three. Three goals. And this is part of the thing about a developing sport. This is where professionalism is is rolling out across the world. But I heard a lot during the game that was saying, oh, you know, the gaps are closing. And, And that might be true of, say, like the top 20 countries now. 
But once you're past them, once you're outside of, let's say, the top 16, which currently make up the top league in the Nations League, then those gaps are in some places, they're widening. England had four 10-0 results in the last World Cup qualification, and they had a 20-0 result. This is down to the fact that England have been on central contracts since 2009. They are fully professional, and the opposition still has to go to work on Monday morning, largely. Mm. So who's actually learning anything out of a 20-0 result? And I thought that game against Scotland was brilliant. I think it was the most competitive game I've seen England play outside of a finals tournament ever, I think. Well, as far as Mm. I was concerned, since I've been watching them for, what, eight years or so now. And we were lucky to win it as well. Yeah, it was certainly a very close game, and uh, I don't think anyone would have complained if it had ended a draw. Obviously, the recent friendly matches, the friendly matches in international football for the women's game are still, you know, they're more akin to test matches. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're taken certainly, quite seriously. Certainly. Um, but, but I would imagine that that will probably change over time. Uh, and certainly as the Nation League takes hold. And it, it's very encouraging. That It really is. It's, a, it, it's very easy to get cynical about new projects, especially when they come from governing bodies like UEFA. But really, I think the the Nations League, although the structure, the promotion, the relegation, the qualification is somewhat convoluted and requires a degree of, of concentration. Beyond that, the format is a very, very clever one. You know, a stratified set of four little conferences within a league, allowing well-matched teams to play each other in competitive fixtures all the way down. So the very worst teams still get the opportunity to play in competitive games. It's coming from the right place, I think, as a competition. It has all many other, you know, there's a lot of other cynicism behind it. And yeah, to a very large degree, the National League exists to generate money for UEFA and to give opportunities for UEFA sponsors to, to maximise, you know, their income and get more bang for their buck. But it also serves a sporting purpose. And I'm pleased that it's in the in the game and I'm certainly pleased in the women's game. Yeah, I mean, rampant commercialisation doesn't have to go against good football does it it can work together and this is a good example of the fact that it does work quite well um there are some other little side things to it i mean like the finals if england get to the finals i don't know what happens to the arnold clark cup because that's being played in the february international break and that has now become in the women's game that's become the time when invitational tournaments happen uh non-confederation organized tournaments like the Arnold Clark Cup, like the She Believes and the Tournoi as well in France and I think the Algarve Cup as well in Portugal. That, and those ones have been going for years. So the She Believes and the and the Arnold Clark are very, very, very new additions to the calendar. But it does smack of UEFA horning in on that thing of, hey, look, this is this is the popular thing now. We can we can make some dough out of this. Just getting in the way of, of say of saying, well yeah, you may be having your nice little tournaments there, but uh, you're gonna come and play for us now. It's a bit like the next gen tournament. Do you remember the next gen tournament? I don't know. It's probably about ten years ago now, which was a non UEFA uh, youth tournament that involved Champions League qualified clubs. This is in the men's game, and it was their youth teams, and yeah. they all played in a sort of shadow version of the Champions League, and it was successful for a couple of years. It lasted, I think, and then UEFA went, "Well, that's a good idea." Yoink! And then, <laughs> and now we have the sort of like you know the, the under twenty three or is it the under nineteen uh, Champions League running alongside the existing Champions League? 
And it's a shame. Uh, that is the challenge for the women's game is to look at those invitational competitions and ask themselves how badly they want them. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, I, I think it is a shame that the Nations League has come along and UEFA has come along and said, oh, you know, there's no room for you anymore. You, we're now going to have our own competitions. And yeah, it is like it smacks a sort of like, you know, Johnny come lately ism, isn't it really? It's like, it's just like, oh, right. Now that it's popular, you want to get involved rather than necessarily helping to grow the game. So I was I hope that there's a role for these for these tournaments going forward because it would it would be a shame because they were the people who were willing to get behind and support the women's game when hardly anybody was watching. I think it would be disappointing if those competitions were marginalized. But progress being what it is, things go forward, it's not always possible. Yeah, we've spoken about this before, haven't we, about how we could find women's football moving away from its existing fan base because they get priced out because it becomes a successful product, something you can sell tickets for 40, 50 quid for, for people to go and see. And the way that it's going, this will happen. And if people start thinking, well, actually, this product's so good, we can stick it behind a, a paywall and make it a premium product. Well, yeah. I mean, that's already happened because yeah. um, Atta Football were providing, up until last season, Atta Football were providing free coverage of the Frauen Bundesliga and Serie A and the French Liga as well. And they got bought out by DAZN, by DAZN. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now I mean it's it's part some of it's behind a paywall and some of it's on their free on their free YouTube channel but it seems to be switching yeah and I would imagine that that the plan is to for it to all go behind that paywall I've said before that I think that that is a mistake but I don't think that's a mistake that's restricted just to women's football so somewhat beyond the remit of this discussion but don't look at the men's game and think well we're just going to have to do what these guys do because I think that the landscape has changed and it's a different world now. And I think you could find yourself sort of like locked into some kind of legacy commercial and not be keeping up with the times and, and where people's money is being spent. I think I, I feel that the, the women's game will be better off making itself free and then getting platforms and advertisers and sponsors to pay for it rather than subscribers. Yeah. But I, doubt, I suspect that no one will, will agree with that opinion. No one who makes any decisions anyway. Well, and no one whose livelihood depends on it as well. So it, all these things are, are going to come out in the next couple of years. And uh, hopefully we'll be along to watch it all unfold and say, yes, we told you so all along. Mm. Mm. Um, but yes, the Nations League is still going on. We are still in the middle of that international break for the women's game. And uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, England and Netherlands will be kicking off their second game in the competition. So enjoy that. We also had a weekend of men's football this weekend. It was uh, the results weren't great for us on the show, were they? Really, it was uh, Arsenal drew, Palace drew, Sunderland, Jan's team they lost to Cardiff, and at least Dortmund won though. Terry, Dortmund won, and Dortmund can be relatively satisfied. I think uh, Dedin Terzic dropped six players and rang in the changes. They beat Wolfsburg by a solitary goal to nil. Back in the day, that would have, you know, that would have been disappointing. But in view of the fact that Dortmund have been really haven't shaken off the trauma from last season, Edin Terzic, I think, did the right thing by making some pretty significant changes. And they got a satisfying one nil win. You know, a clean sheet, one goal. Sometimes when you're I said this in my newsletter, sometimes when your club, when your team's ailing, you know, what you need is a good solid one nil win. In your newsletter, Terry, what newsletter is mm. that? The Dortmund Dispatch, which is my weekly uh, Bundesliga newsletter, which focuses 
on Borussia Dortmund, but does cover the rest of the Bundesliga. And you can subscribe to this newsletter for free. And the latest edition was dropped yesterday or the day after as you're listening to this. Did that late goal uh, make the copy of your of this week's edition a lot easier to do? Yeah, well, it wasn't that late. It was 68 minutes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was timely. And it's also it was from Marco Royce as well, uh, who uh, was starting his first game of the season because he's, you know, I think this season, the plan, I think, was really for him to be more of an impact player, which he's been doing. But at the same time, I think he's, he's still playing well enough to deserve a, a place in the starting lineup. And yeah, it was a good tonic, especially after the Champions League game against PSG, where they just completely, well, they were completely annihilated, really. They were annihilated 2-0, if that's possible. Well, yeah, but I mean, PSG did get a lucky penalty, though, didn't they? They got a very lucky penalty. Um, I thought that that was really harsh. Uh, I will explain briefly. Nicolas Sula is trying to go in for a tackle to win the ball off Kylian Mbappe, which is not easy. Um, so he's going to ground and he's in the penalty area and he's, his arm is down to help to cushion the impact of his mighty body on his shoulder. Um, Mbappe takes a shot. It's going wide, but it comes off Sula's arm. And then after a VAR, Stuart Atwell uh, decides it's a penalty. Uh, we were on a hiding to nothing, really, because it's a La Liga referee and a, and, and a Premier League VAR and, and uh, two, two leagues that I think are becoming increasingly well known for their chaotic interpretation of the rules somewhat. Uh, and I thought it was extremely harsh uh, and unfair because I don't really know what Zula was, was going to do. He couldn't have, I mean, if he got his arm behind his shoulder and gone for the ball in that manner, I mean, he would have landed on his shoulder. Uh, and you know he's a big fellow, and he could have he could have injured himself. So it was perfectly natural for him to do that. And the ball was not on target; it was going wide. Mm. Um, and so it was a surprise that that it was that it was given as a penalty. But well, a surprise insofar as and how is the narrative now? You know, you get commentators now and and pundits saying, saying I don't know if that's a penalty or not. They're looking at handballs and they're saying. I don't know whether or not you give that as a penalty anymore because they're, they're having difficulties. Some of them don't look at the rules, in fairness, but I think others do, but just simply you know, don't know whether or not because I think the rule is so confusing and difficult to understand that, that it's causing problems even, even for the pundits who are paid to watch football. Yeah, and the pundits who aren't paid to watch football, like us. Like us, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think it's worthwhile then discussing the whole handball thing again um var again um uh because i don't think we've done it for a little while and i think probably the last time we did it it was probably under the mistaken impression that things would change or things would settle down but it doesn't seem to mm. be the way in fact thing things are just getting more confusing we're still hearing the same things from pundits and commentators alike saying, well, I, I don't really understand what's going on. We cut to Peter Walton and he can sort of explain what's going on, but not in a very satisfactory sort of way. Well, he's been booted, hasn't he? He was purged when, when, when TNT took over. Yeah, him and Jake Humphrey got their cards together. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they went straight down the pub with their little boxes on the table next to them full of all their stuff. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem to have got any better. And really, I mean, I've given up looking at the guidance on there because I just don't care anymore. I don't, I don't care about enough to be like a Dale Johnson guy who can tell you all the uh, chapter and verse of what the guidance is and what the specific wording is in English and what that means in the game sense. There just seems to be so many different ways that handball can be awarded or can't be awarded now that I've just I've just lost interest in it completely uh, in in the whole process. If it hits an arm now, I'm I'm there with the commentator saying, "Well, I don't know. I don't know if that is or not. I know what, what my gut says, and I think we've always got to be aware of what that should mean. If your gut tells you that something is handball." And you've not got any skin in the game. It's not. We're going to go on to the Arsenal-Tottenham decision later. But if you've not got any skin in the game, if you're watching as a neutral and you see a handball decision, you should be able to say, I think that's handball. Shouldn't you? Yeah. I think as a spectator, then I think it's reasonable for the rules to be sufficiently straightforward for you to be able to judge what truth is and what truth isn't. Yeah. And what a handball looks like. You know, there's always going to be nuance and there's going to be things that are not all together completely clear and and may need some explanation but i think it's important that football remain intuitive yeah to watch and for that matter to play yeah arguably it's more important that it be intuitive to play than it is to watch but that's you know philosophical uh, discussion but that's how i see it yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, well, we can afford to become uh, philosophical about it on, on this podcast, as we frequently do. But is that the problem? Is it now that the handball law is set for how the game looks and not how it's played? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think I think increasingly we're seeing this, and it's been accelerated with VAR. VAR exists for the benefit of spectators. Yeah. I don't really think it exists for the benefit of players, or, or, or perhaps that's to say that the emphasis is for the benefit of spectators and less for the benefit of players. Obviously, players want to win football matches, and so they want, quote, correct decisions to be able to help them to achieve that goal. But I feel really more that VAR exists because football is a spectator sport and is a spectator of significant value. And so, therefore, they brought it in in order to have more gratification for the spectator. And indeed for the sponsors and for the clubs and for the money that's being put in you know, and, and the desire for things to be right. And, I, and I, I feel that that balance is a little bit off kilter at, at this point. I think that if you reach a point where you need VAR in order to be able to to decide what is and what isn't a penalty or what is or what isn't a foul or a red card event or, or a goal, then you're running into the risk of, of, of saying, well, that's fine for the VAR leagues, which is... I don't know, 0.1% of the football that's being played on the planet. Significantly yeah. less, I would have thought. But what about the rest of it? And I, and I just, again, it's all about whether or not you get two-tiered football. Um, but I just feel that things need to be straightforward for players and for referees at all levels of the game so that people can just focus on playing the game. And, you know, after all, one of the reasons why football is such a popular sport isn't just because it's it's an enjoyable game to watch, but it is an enjoyable game to play. Uh, and people people continue to play it well into years and ages when they really should have given up. <laughs> but but they, they love it so much. Uh, and I worry that by overcomplicating or by relying on, on technology or on reviews 
to enforce the rules of the game that, that you cause a, a split and perhaps find yourself in a situation that other sports that also use video technology find themselves in. Yeah, well, we're right in the middle of the Rugby World Cup at the moment, and and a casual observers of rugby like myself, when I get to see it, I look I look at it and I think this is not a straightforward game. This is this is there are, there is simplicity there in it's there in the way that, that the players are playing, but the way it's officiated looks complicated. I can't understand their offside rule. I really have no interest in understanding their offside rule. I suppose, and what constitutes some penalties and what constitutes a free kick, and. I think that's what football's always had. It's been always easy to come to explain to someone why something is so and why something isn't. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right. It is in danger of losing something, losing something that is fundamental to it, something that has brought it to its position where it actually is now. So let's take some of these incidents one at a time. Now, we'll go back to the PSG Dortmund incident. So when you were watching that, Terry, obviously you are a Dortmund fan, so there was always going to be something there that's going to make you want to shout and say, no, mm. injustice has happened. But what specifically about that incident made you think, this is not handball, this shouldn't be handball? Well, it was two things, really. I think in the one instance, I think it's because the shot was off target. I think if a ball is goal-bound and is deflected by a hand, then I really do feel that you... you you have to really give a penalty because, you know, it is not handball, it's football. And that's literally, you know, the, the purpose of the, of, of the game. And I think that that, that I think, I don't think that is unreasonable. Uh, you could make an argument that Sula should not have been going to ground, that that was not the right decision as a professional footballer to make, but it wasn't unlawful. So he was, and he was, had his arm down ready to cushion the impact of him as he hit the ground. And that's when the ball was hit. And for me, that is not what you would characterize as an unnatural position. Uh, but there is no question that his arm was out and the ball came off his arm. There's the, I, I'm not disputing that at all. But I would I would argue that given those circumstances, that that penalty should not have been given. Uh, but the moment I saw it, I knew it would be. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I, 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 so I say, oh, I'm confused. But the reality is I looked at that and went, yeah, that's going to get given. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be, but it's going to be. The next incident then I, I want to talk about is the one from the North London derby. Now, of course, I'm an Arsenal fan. So when I watched this, I thought instantly that it was definitely a penalty. But this is where Romero is only two, three yards off the line when he handles the ball. It's a shot from very, very close range by Ben White. But it hits Romero's arm, which is only slightly out from his body. But, and here's the key thing, it was going in. Mm. So I, I looked at it and I thought, there's no way he's intentionally done that. And when I was watching the whole thing unfold, I thought, oh, he's going to get sent off here because that's denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. He's basically saved it, not on the line, but near us, damn it. But he wasn't booked for it. And actually, uh, Sula, wasn't it, uh, for, for, for Dortmund, he wasn't booked either for it. No, uh, no. Which is, which is strange with, uh, with the Spanish referee because they're a bit more free with their yellow cards when it comes to things like that. But for me... That decision was, and like what you said there, Terry, it's not handball, it's football. If it's going in, even if it's entirely unintentional, I think that should be a penalty because they changed the rules, didn't they, about four or five years ago with handball to say that if it comes off your arm and goes in, it can't be a goal anymore. You can't score with your arm. I seem to remember, I think it was Alexis Sanchez against Hull, 
Mm. Um, so it was going back about oh, seven, eight seasons. Yeah, six I suppose, or seven years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and he had a goal like that. It, it bounced up off him. I think it came off his thigh, mm. hit his arm. Entirely unintentional, but it was only about two yards out and went in. But yeah. it was the sort of thing that looked wrong. It looked wrong. It shouldn't be a goal. I was perfectly happy when they made that change. But if you have that change, if you say, right, okay, well, you can't score with your hand, then the counter argument must be that you certainly cannot stop a ball with your hand, even if it's accidental. What do you think there? Mm. Yeah, no, I think that that's actually correct. Yeah. And I've got a lot of sympathy for Romero. I think he had a bit of a rotten game. And I think he was kind of unlucky. I mean, I, I, you know, it is difficult. You don't coaches. I think have to coach players that they have to try and keep their arms in <laughs> actually what are unnatural positions. Yeah, and that's where I get frustrated with the wording. And this is in English, obviously, is of the natural position. But actually, running around the penalty area, trying to get the ball with your arms behind your back, literally with your arms behind your back, is un, is actually unnatural. Or it's sort of like, you know, where you're moving around and you're trying to get the ball in your arms. That is not an unnatural thing. Um, and I don't think that it was it was entirely unnatural for Romero. But the crucial thing here was is that he's denied he's effectively denied a goal scoring opportunity. He's just not done it deliberately, that's all. Yeah. So it's a handball in the box and a denial of a goal scoring opportunity. I think he'd be really unlucky to not get a penalty from either of those two. And I think it was the correct decision. I also think it was the correct decision uh, to not book uh, Romero as well, because I think that would have been a really shitty thing to do yeah. to a player who's already having a shitty day. So I, I'd, I'd have just left it there, and that's what they did. So my feeling is actually his common sense has prevailed on that on that instance all around. But again, there's any doubt in the referee's mind, or I guess when they look at it from VAR, and thinks, well, actually, I don't think they're going to score a goal from there. I think that natural justice says, well, actually, look, that was an accidental handball. The ball's not going in the net. Sorry, I'm not giving a penalty for that. Yeah. And I don't believe that that would happen yeah. um, at this point. So this is really about what we think should be happening rather than what is it, what actually the rules are, what, what actually the laws are. So yeah. they are, have to make that distinction, don't we? That we well, don't. Yeah, exactly. You're entirely correct there. We're not actually saying what the rules actually are, but we're looking at it as people who have watched the game now for approaching 50 years and assume that we know how we think it should be played. And, of course, people who should know more about that are the, are the actual players them themselves. And it seems to be that referees are making these choices of what is handball and what isn't handball. And a lot of the time, and I think you're right, Terry, that these rule changes... People have been saying, oh, well, it's, this this isn't VAR's fault that, that the handball law is, is so rubbish. It's entirely VAR's fault yeah. that the handball is like this because the mantra of those who wanted technology to come into football was they wanted consistency. And the only way you can get consistency in handball is by writing down every different occurrence of handball and why that's handball and why that isn't. And once you start doing that, you end up with a list as long as your arm of things. Mm. And that's how it was a few years ago. They've cut that back a bit now. But still, people have those things in their head, those words like arms above the head. That's no longer in the rules now. Mm. But people now assume that that's what it is. You, if, a, if a player's hands above his head and it hits his arm, that's a, a penalty. Or that's what people assume anyway. The third incident I'm going to talk about is the one in the Luton-Wolves game of the weekend, which saw Luton get their first point of the season. But it was a bit contentious because Wolves had gone down to 10 men, but had taken the lead. And Luton got a handball 
penalty to equalise. That's given their first point. Now, now Terry, you'd only seen this just before we came on. Mm. So I've been mulling about it since it happened, uh, but you, mm. you've just seen it. Um, what was your impression when you first saw it? For listeners who haven't seen it, this is what actually happens. Uh, João Gomes, who threw his body basically at a cross, but he led with his foot. He was basically going with his foot to try and block a cross coming in. And the ball hits his foot, sails up in the air, over his head, where his arm is, hits the mm. arm, and the referee gives it as a penalty. So what do we think of this one? I mean, for me, it looked ridiculous because he's going for the ball. He's going for the ball with his foot. There is no way he's going in there saying, right, okay, I'll hold my arms up here because I think, just in case I don't control it, I've got a bit more security and a bit more insurance. I don't think that is ever going through his head at the time. I think he's gone in there with his foot and it's just disappeared off at a different angle and and hit his arm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, in terms of technique, it's not the best way to handle a situation. But that's not the referee's job to coach a player on, how, on the correct way to deal with these things. And I agree with you. He's gone in with his foot. He's led with his foot. He's leaning backwards and instinctively his arms are up. Because you know, there's part of him that's thinking, you know, I could, I could be on my ass at some point or on my back. Yeah. And so he's looking to control his balance and, and and keep his balance. Perfectly natural. It deflects off his foot, and it's entirely, entirely, entirely accidental. And I would suggest to you that before VAR, a referee would have looked at that and said, Yeah, no, I'm not giving that. If they'd looked at it and seen it for what it is, sometimes referees they not they don't look closely enough, or they're a bit distracted, they don't see it properly, all of that, but. Ultimately, if a referee gets a full look at that incident pre-VAR, I think they say, no, that's that's actually probably accidental and I'm not, I'm not going to give that. But I don't know, maybe not. Um, so that's my reading of that. But at the same time, I think that if you're a Luton fan, you're saying, look, well, look hang on a second, he's got his arms up and it's clearly it's his outstretched arm. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a penalty. So I do acknowledge that this is not, you know, necessarily the correct decision. But for me, I think that, what worries me about stuff like that is, is the way that Gomez could have avoided that penalty would be he has to approach that situation, get his foot in, and he has to keep his arms down by his side while he's doing it. And if he slips or, or anything happens, there's a non- different kind of contact, he falls back and he could, I mean, he could hurt himself, he could wind himself, he could injure himself. You know, it may not be, you know, a terrible thing, but his instincts is going to try and tell him to kind of protect himself from any kind of harm. It's perfectly natural and i think that this is the thing is that nobody seems to be able to fully understand what natural means and that's where i think that you know i think it would be helpful to just get ifab and howard webb and a few others get them out onto a pitch tie their arms around their backs or maybe that's a bit harsh tell them right you have to play you're going to play a -a five-a-side game and you must have your arms by your side at all times off you go and then see how they like it because I suspect that they that they'll they'll learn pretty quickly that that's just not how it goes. Now, all right, they're not professional footballers, but do we want football to look like that uh, from an aesthetic point of view? Do we as fans want to have this kind of like you know these guys running around you know for the benefit of people who can't see me? I've got my arms and I'm doddering around the screen, you know, running around like like, like trying to play football with their arms down by their sides at all times particularly in the penalty area, because that's what it's increasingly looking like. 
And I don't think that that's a very good way of playing football or an effective way or the best way of exploiting the innate talent and skills of these players. And yet this appears to be where we're going. And I suspect that players will tell you, look, this is inherently dangerous and unnatural. And yet this is what they're sort of like saying. He's saying, you know, natural is unnatural. It's like, you know, uh, and, and I just feel, and I just think back to what Rafael Varane said earlier in the season uh, about the rule, about the rule changes, about the injury time, was that he said that there's just been this lack of consultation by referees, by the PGMLL, and indeed by IFAB, I assume, with the players. And I wonder whether or not that's what's going on here. You know, I mean, in other sports, I mean, it's a bad example because it's a bit of a daft sport. Sorry, Ed, but it's a bit of a daft sport. But Formula One, for example, the drivers get together with the officials in the close season to talk about things that happened and then talk about what to do next season when something similar happens and what they think is the right thing to do. Now, Formula One's a ridiculously dangerous sport. People can literally die driving Formula One cars. So it is important that you have that closeness. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have it in other sports, too. And, you know, and I just think that maybe a lot of it is down to the fact that players and coaches' views are, are just not counted. And that, you know, get them together off-season in a cool environment where passions aren't running high and say, well, let's go over some instances and then look at where, what we think about this. And do, do you, we think that this is just or do we think it's unjust? And what can we do to make it more just and then go there? But I don't detect there's anything like that going on. I'm happy to be corrected if there is. Mm. Well, I don't know about you, Terry, but I think we've just given the producers of the Howie and Mikey referee show um, <laughs> a load, a load of content for the next season or for the whole season ahead, I think. That is the thing that, I mean, but the, the thing is, is that with the broadcast, I mean, the, like, is it um, not Peter Walton? Dermot Gallagher. Dermot Gallagher. Yeah. Who was a very erudite man. Yeah. But these guys are such referee homers, though. Oh, God. They're, just, yeah. they're just like, it just... There doesn't seem to be any sort of like recognition or understanding as to why people are frustrated when referees make certain decisions. They're sort of like, you know, well, you know, I mean, it is kind of like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a referees union and you know, it's frustrating. So I, I like the idea perhaps maybe of like, you know, let's have a TV show where we all get together and talk about these things, but it won't, it'll become sensationalized. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't help. I mean, I've got like Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville saying, ah, it's never a penalty in a million years. And, or worse, they form an opinion on something with the moment they see it, but they won't backtrack when it's quite obvious that they're mistaken. Yeah. Like in the, what was it, last week? And, and there was an offside decision. Uh, 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 <laughs> and, and Gary Neville just was like, even though it was, he, he just would not back It was the down. angles he of the lines, wasn't it? He was going yeah. on about, wasn't he? Yeah. He was going on about, he's just like saying, no, wait, you're wrong. You've made a mistake. It's cool. Just say, oh, you know what? Looking at it again, I think, you know, actually, no, I don't know why. Oh, Andy, sorry, that is really is another topic of discussion. Yeah. But the point is, is that this is not, there's not an environment with which we can have mature conversations about this because, you know, football is supposed to be entertainment. Mm, it is. And I wonder what will entertain us this weekend. Ooh. Ooh. Nice one. Yeah, thanks. Well, on Friday night, you've got Hoffenheim Dortmund. Any any controversy going to happen in that game? Well, those two don't like each other. Um, and certainly the two sets of fans really hate each other. So there could be a bit of that going on. 
but uh, that's going to be an interesting game because Hoffenheim are having a terrific season so far. Four wins on the bounce, fifth in the league. Uh, nobody's really expecting them. Them and Stuttgart are the sort of, you know, well, who, what are you doing here? You know, kind of they're in the, you know, in the top five of the table. They're in terrific form. Dortmund, not playing well, still unbeaten though. There's drama potential under the floodlights. Which Premier League team's going to come in for Stuttgart's master goal scorer, Gurassi? He's on fire. Where have they dug him up from? I was going to say he's he's literally on fire, but then I, then I ran back and said, no, of course he's not literally on fire. That would be awful. <laughs> but he is 10 goals in five games. I mean, he's it, been a slow burner. I mean, he did okay in a struggling Stuttgart team last season. But this season, yeah, they just seem to, have, it all seems to have clicked. It's really weird. They lost Endu, they've lost Mavropanos, and they've lost Endu, Endo, uh, Mavropanos, and Borna Sosa, Stuttgart. And yeah, which are three of their comfortably some of their best players. And they've actually got better. And Garassi has got an awful lot to do that. We will see what happens, you know. But his XG is matching his goals right now. So I don't think there's anything, it's a stupidly low, uh, short sample, but it's not, there's no regression to the mean at the moment. He is, he's on fire. <laughs> he is. He's got three more goals than, than a certain Harry Kane. So uh, he's doing well. He's not in the box set this week, but I'll, I'll try and get, get Stuttgart in as soon as I can, as soon as they've got a, a decent slot going out there. We've also got Villa Brighton. Uh, that's that's going to be interesting on Saturday lunchtime. Tottenham Liverpool. Um, the Basque Derby on Saturday night, that'll be worth watching. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Always a lively encounter and uh, and both teams doing OK as well. Yeah. And on Sunday, we've got, well, the WSL returns. Some great games there. And the one we've got in the box set, I think, is going to be Chelsea Tottenham. And of course, with WSL, no VAR. Of course, no VAR. Uh, unless Emma Hayes has her way and brings it in. Yes, sorry, Emma, but on this one occasion, oh, you're incorrect. You're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, if they did bring VAR in it, it would swallow up 20% of their TV deal. Well, for the cost, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, the no, cost. they'd have to get someone else to pay for that if they yeah. were going to do something like exactly. that. I mean, I, they, yeah, but I mean, I think the problem is so many of them want it. For no good reason yeah. whatsoever. Spend the money on players' wages instead. On yes, bonuses. yes, pay players. Not Sony, for God's sake. Yes. <laughs> well, if you do want to see what we think about those games, and, and honestly, we will not bang on about VAR during the uh, the box set. We try not to. We, we really try Much. to be brief. <laughs> we really try to be brief in the box set. Um, so, uh, but if you do want to find out what we think of those seven games, then get along to sofpodcast.com. Click on the link for the weekend box set and subscribe. Put your email address in the little box. Press send. It's that easy, and it's free. It's as free as Terry's newsletter, which is in a different place. You know, we mix it up a bit here, but uh, yeah. But, yeah, but so, both both are free. Both are free. The, so that, subscribe and to that. Stay free. Yeah. No paywall bullshit. No second tiers. No paid tiers. None of that. Nothing like that. All free. All, all the time. Free. All free. All the time. You know, we don't even like like make you wait an extra day while 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 the other guys get it and and can show you up in the bar because oh have you not read it yet oh no because you don't pay for it do you <laughs> yes um, yeah no we're not like that at all we're very very generous with our content but that's all we have time for this week so from me Graham Sibley and from Terry Fellow it's goodbye goodbye. You can contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter, 
at Sound of Football or on facebook.com slash soundoffootball. Moderately tasty. Mm.